0: Lord, thank you for this time again. Um, Lord, I thank you just, again, you promised that uh, when we're gathered together that you're here with us, and we just want to recognize that. And uh, Lord, I just pray very simply that you would open up our hearts to hear from you, uh, not from me, but from your word, and uh, that you'd help me handle your word accurately. And again, just open up our hearts, let us hear from you, we pray. And I, and I just pray also that there would be genuine life change that comes from this today we just uh, yield ourselves to that yield ourselves to you and ask you to speak in jesus name amen so i just want to real quickly kind of summarize there's this obscure little parable i believe it's in luke 17 it begins with jesus telling the disciples he says if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and turns seven times to ask for forgiveness that you should forgive him. And I don't know if you remember the disciples' response. Um, they said, Increase our faith. That's a hard request. It's like they're saying, I, I can't quite do that. And uh, so Jesus then tells them about the mulberry tree, how if you have faith as small as mustard seed, you could speak to the mulberry tree and command it to be moved and it would obey you. And then here's where the parable comes in. He says, um, Tells a little story of a hired worker, and he says, uh, you know, does the, the master of the worker, after he does his job, does he thank the hired worker for doing his job? And, you know, the implied answer is no. Um, actually, and he said, you should have the same attitude as the hired worker that says, after you've done everything that you were commanded, you should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what we were commanded. That sounds, that's always, I think for the first 30 times I read that, I just thought, wow, this is a little bit harsh. Uh, of Jesus, a harsh way of saying that. But I realized one time when I was reading that is that there's an incredible promise underneath that. So I'm going to say again what Jesus said. He says, after you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we're unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And in that there's a promise because he was telling them to do something that was hard. There's a promise that they can do anything Jesus commands them to do. So he told them to do something hard, and they were like, "Uh, but what about this? I'm not ready. And then he told them the parable. And he's implying when the Lord tells you to do something, you have the capacity to do it. So that, to me, says that really any command in Scripture for us to do is also a promise that we can actually do that. So now let's, I mean, just think of some of the commands in Scripture. Uh, And for me, some that stand out are, do not fear. So I'm naturally prone to anxiety. I, you know, I fear things that are irrational sometimes. Uh, But the Lord says, do not fear. I I believe that's a promise that means I don't have to fear. Again, back to Jesus is, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and turns, I can forgive uh, radically over and over again. Uh, If you look at the description of 1 Corinthians 13, you know, anything in there, love keeps no record of wrongs. That means I have the ability to keep no record of wrongs. Um, And quick clarity is that the only reason this is true is not because I have the ability to do this in and of myself per se, but the Spirit of God lives in us as believers and gives us the power to obey. So we have the capacity of doing any of these these things. Um, Make disciples, um, disciple the nations. Uh, you can just fill that in. So I just want to ask, actually, before, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And before we read that, it's a very familiar passage. Um, uh, And uh, sometimes I know I can say for myself, the more familiar it is, the easier it is to read quickly through it and to think I know what it's saying. Uh, I would like you to think through where do you in your life right now, where do you feel the need for God's help? In terms of obeying him. So if it's, um, again, loving someone uh, in your life, specifically forgiving someone, if it could be a particular area of sin, whether it's overt, you know, outward or inward, um, just where is some place in your life, or even a place where you feel defeated? Um, You know, honestly, this is when this kicks in for me most. If there's something I'm trying to grow in or trying to, to change and I feel like I can't do it, wow, that's a perfect time to come and just freshly Look at these promises, so kind of get that in your mind, and with that said, I'm just going to walk phrase by phrase through this passage real slowly, um, hopefully not s- too slowly We'll s- stay on target but uh and then that uh, okay, great, thank you um, but I'm also going to try to summarize the big points kind of near the end, and just three um, three big points, but we I want to walk through almost word for word here with you and um so I'm just going to put the whole passage up there right now, and I'm using the New American Standard right now, but again, I'm just going to walk word for word for a minute. So, therefore, so you've probably heard, when there's a therefore, you should ask, what what is the therefore, therefore? So, have you heard that here? <laughs> okay, so this is, in my opinion, the most important therefore, at least in the book of Romans, if not at even a bigger place, but... Uh, he's saying in light of everything else that he's unpacked in you know the 11 chapters because that's there and just a a really brief summary we see the power of the gospel right romans 1 we see the judgment of god on sin romans 2 uh, the free gift of eternal life in um, romans 3 the grace faith connection and the story of abraham and romans 4 one of my favorite passages uh, and there's a phrase somewhere in there that it's it's by faith in order that it might be by grace and guaranteed to all who believe. Like this, you know, our faith rests on God's grace. It's received through faith, not by works. Just amazing benefits in uh, Romans 5 that are not, it's hard to breeze over. Romans 6, we have the ability to overcome sin. We've, we are dead to sin. You have the ability to overcome uh, Romans 7 and 8, going to put those together for a moment and say that we've, we have new life in Christ, the power from the Holy Spirit in order to walk a new life. 10, 11, and 12 feels like a tangent, but it's really related, just the story of Israel and how that connects and how they missed the righteousness through faith, but how there's still a great plan for them. And so we lead all of that into this passage. Therefore, because of all these wonderful things that we've just seen, the gospel as Paul is articulating it. We're going to turn now, beginning in Romans 12, 1, what does this mean for our lives? How do we live? And this is the very first thing he says. The therefore, and then he's, the next phrase is, I urge you, which is a really tender request, like a please, a really tender hearted from a person. Uh, he, he loves the Romans. He hasn't actually met him in person yet, but he's saying, I care about you guys. In light of everything I just said, would you please consider Doing this, what he's about to say, so it's not a command he doesn't want them to do what he's about to say because he's telling them to, but uh, we're going to see actually next phrase is by the mercies of God i want i'm plead with you not because I'm commanding you, but by the mercies of God and wow, i'm so glad that you chose that his mercy is more. Wow, that was perfect. Um, because I did a quick, just in preparation for this, I'm like, wow, how do you explain God's mercy in a short way without butchering it? And I just did a word search on mercy. Oh, my goodness. Just, I encourage you, go to Bible Gateway or something and search the word mercy and just have a great time enjoying all that God's mercy entails. But everything, you know, actually, I will refer back just a few quick thoughts. is In Romans 11, right before this passage... Paul has this, it looks like an explosion of worship comes out right before this passage. I'll read it. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him, And to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like just pauses and worships God. And the sentence right before that, listen to this. This is amazing. He says, for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And that takes some time to wrap your mind around. I, I, it's a, or just, it's simple. It's powerful. But there's so much more depth there than I can articulate easily. But he's shut up all of us. I mean, the law was given to show us that we don't measure up. And his purpose in that for everyone is that he wants to show mercy to us. That's his purpose. He wants to show mercy to the world. And, uh, and that's what leads Paul to say, oh, wow, how amazing is the Lord. So he is a merciful God. He wants to show mercy to us. And it's by these mercies, it's by his mercy we were saved. Everything you have is from that, that we're going to move into these action items. And so I'm going to look at, in the English, we see three imperatives here. So there's three actions. Uh, in the Greek, there's two and a really strong urging. But uh, for the sake of our English definition of imperatives, I'm going to say there's three. I've checked this with my... I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have a friend who is one, and I get to ask questions. But there's three imperatives. And um, the first one is to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. This is what he's urging us to do primarily in this passage uh, that he's leading up to, is to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And again, it's sort of a a deeply sincere appeal. So when he says, present your bodies, basically that's one way of saying everything you are. So internal, external, everything. If you can imagine, as I'm reading this, I kind of imagine laying down on an altar. Um, You know, if you imagine an altar in which you would put a sacrifice and it burned up. If you imagine just laying down your whole body, everything you are, and that's not just your physical body, but what's inside, your heart, your mind, but just present your whole self to God as a sacrifice, uh, completely given over. When you put something on the altar, you don't take it back, right? Especially in the old use of the term is that you would put uh, an animal there and it would be burned up and you would not, yeah, the person presenting it would not get anything off of that. So this is, again, the idea of handing over your whole life to God as a sacrifice, the difference is that you're still alive, right? Um, we're not just yeah dying and being burned up per se. We're, we're we're laying down, but you're you're a living being. This is a living sacrifice. You you see, you feel, you speak, uh, you move in the world around you, and there's there's a story that God wants to write all around you, where you are, and He, he wants to use you for this, and you being yielded to Him is the single most important way to experience that, is to say, what do you want to do through my life? And that's what Paul is ultimately asking us to do. Um, I'm going to summarize this um, in a point. I'm going to keep going through the passage, by the way, but I'm not actually going to have it up on the screen anymore. I didn't plan that well. We're going to just move on to the three summary statements. Number one is surrender wholeheartedly. And, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, with Andrew Murray is a author of the Christian classic Humility. He also wrote a book called Absolute Surrender. And um, he was having a conversation with a man he respected who was training Christian workers um, for field service. And he said, what's the one thing that the church needs most right now? And this was where he got the phrase, is absolute surrender to God is the one thing that the church needs in this day and time. And he shares this illustration of a pen I think I accidentally brought a pen up here with me, but he just says, this pen, in order for this pen to function, the way it's supposed to function, it has to be totally yielded to me. It has to let me write with it. And I've, I've never seen a pen fight. <laughs> but, uh, but how much more should we say, yeah, or if someone else is to pull on it and two people try to write with it, it doesn't work as well. This, this pen needs to be totally yielded to me. And in the same way, the number one most important thing for us as we think about applying all this amazing mercy that God has poured forth on us, is just to be yielded to God, surrendered to him. Um, Next phrase, that's number one, first imperative. And please forgive me, this is a little bit odd. I do a lot of very um, simple, memorizable discipleship training. We like to see things understood and passed on quickly. So I'm going to give you some hand motions. So if you feel comfortable doing this with me, I'm going to give you a hand motion per point surrender to god this is the first point you can just hold up your hands and say surrender surrender wholeheartedly to god thank god bless you thank you for doing this with me okay surrender wholeheartedly that's the first point point. and i yeah amen all right so this is so simple and profound what paul is saying this can lead back to the title genuine transformation is actually a pretty straightforward simple process hence the simple application. Thank you for doing that with me. So number one, surrender wholeheartedly. Uh, The next phrase in the passage is after he says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. He says that it's this offering is acceptable to God. And I want to pause for a moment there because that in and of itself is an amazing phrase that we could give something to God that's acceptable to him, that that pleases him. So recently, my family uh, and I had the privilege of going up to uh, Karuizawa, and we stayed at KRC, the retreat center there, and as the fall leaves were changing, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be as fall as coming in and the uh, momiji is coming out. And it's uh, Anyway, I took lots of pictures. I love taking pictures. The convenience of a phone has made it really easy to do so, uh, and I was just over and over and over again, I was just going back through my photos. I was struck with wow, this does no justice to what I just saw. Like I would, I mean, at one point we were um, standing at a particular park that was overlooking a mountain range, and I'm just overwhelmed with the beauty, you know. And, uh, and so, and I take a picture, and then I look at the picture, and I'm like, that, that is like one tiny slice. Because when you're, when you're looking through, and this is the, the part where I'm going with this, is that your eyes, the lens of your eyes, and the ability to take in what you're seeing on that mountaintop is so much more complex than that little camera. No, the best camera does not measure up to the pair of eyes that God has given you. And this isn't just a two-dimensional. This is a, you know, multi-dimensional picture that I could go run into. And, and the, the fact that I can even observe it and make these conclusions is God's creation. All of this is an amazing gift to God. It shows us how wonderful He is. How can I give him something that pleases his heart? Isn't it amazing that we can give him a gift? And I, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but I actually struggle most when it comes to giving a gift to someone that I deeply care about. I get stressed out because I'm like, how do I communicate my, like for my wife, for example, I get stressed out every birthday, <laughs> every Valentine's Day. Actually, our anniversary and, our, and Valentine's Day is very close together. So it's like double whammy. <laughs> But I'm always, how do I express my affection for this woman? I love clearly more than any other human being in the world through a gift. And I stress out about it. Sometimes I don't even, I end up not getting anything very well because I procrastinated because I was so stressed. So it's stress relieving and encouraging to know, wow, I can, God, man, God's going to accept this gift that I give. He accepts my life. He accepts gifts from us. That's just a really affirming And my wife accepts my gifts, too, even Even though they don't always accurately reflect my affection. But next phrase, which is your spiritual service of worship. Um, So this is how you worship God. Um, This is how we worship. We surrender our lives to him. That word spiritual is an interesting word. It doesn't directly communicate into English very well. Um, Some translations say that reasonable and some say spiritual um, reasonable in the sense of this is only logical in light of everything that he's given us. It's only logical for us to just surrender ourselves in response. It's spiritual in the sense of we're not just putting something on the on the altar of physical thing. This is this is our our whole lives, and the arena in which this happens. So the, all three action items in one sense that we're going to look at here happen in your brain, happen inside in your heart. Internally, so it's not necessarily an outward physical thing. It's a spiritual way to worship God, and it reminds me of the words of Jesus to the Samaritan woman that He said, "The Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth." But this is what spiritual worship looks like: is being completely yielded and surrendered to God. And we're leading into the next uh, imperative here, and He says, uh, "These are a lot stronger. These are two commands." Also, the tense of the verbs is different. Surrender yourselves to God is sort of a; it can imply an action in time that can be complete. These next two are ongoing over time. So the way that I think about this is kind of like the 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 wedding ceremony in one sense, saying the vows. You know, like uh, when two people come together and they say "I do" before an audience, before the Lord. That's saying I'm I'm yielded to you. Very similar in that I'm saying I'm I'm with you for the rest of my life till I die. You're yielding yourselves over. Well, then, you know, there's uh, as soon as you're married, you have to remind yourselves of those things. As you get into some of the realities of being married, you have to remind yourselves of your vows. And there's a way that you live it out. And there's great instruction in the Bible. How do you maintain the, the joy and the fire in your marriage? And how do you love them well? And the ongoing type stuff is different. Some people like to renew your vows. And I highly encourage you to renew your vow to the Lord. If you haven't already surrendered, do that again starts one time, but you can do it again and again. But it's less emphasized than these two. These are ongoing. Number one is um, do not be conformed to this world. So that's the first strong imperative. The second that we're looking at. So this, do not be conformed to this world. Um, the world around you is trying to squeeze you into a mold or squeeze you into a way of thinking. Um, it's trying to tell you what's valuable Uh, what's attractive, um, what's cool, what's not cool, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what brings real joy, all of these messages. As you watch a commercial, you receive two or three messages. Um, Even talking to your friends, um, you know, you can just receive message. Uh, Walking down the street and seeing a billboard or even walking past the store, there's just constant information That's trying to get you to conform to a particular way that aligns with the world. And the imperative here is to resist that. Resist the conformity to the world. And the hand motion here is real simple. Resist. Resist the patterns of the world. So what was the first one again? Surrender. Okay. And number two, resist. Resist the patterns of the world. So surrender wholeheartedly to God. Resist the patterns of the world. That's the first step. And there's really, there's a little identification needed here. Um, And there are some wonderful uh, litmus tests in scripture where you can read what types of thing does the world want you to squeeze into? What does this look like? Um, I'm just going to rattle these off, but Ephesians 2, Galatians 5, Romans 8, 5 and 6. Uh, These all give us little pictures of of what this looks like. Some of those descriptions, Ephesians 2, it describes our former life before we came to know Jesus. So you were just following the lusts of your your flesh. You were walking in the course of this world, ultimately led by Satan. um, As you're just doing whatever you want to do, period, uh, without concern for God's perspective of others, if you just walk in that, you're going to be walking in the course of the world. That's one description. There's um, anger, resentment, selfishness. Again, just it's I highly, actually, it's encouraging and, and helpful to begin this process, I think, to read some of those lists and say, yeah, where are these places in me that I've been conformed to the world? And you can see the fruit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the flesh is evident. Um, dissensions, anger, factions, there's different ways we can tell oh, right now I am being conformed to the world, or I'm walking in the flesh is another way of saying it. Um, Recently, I was reading through the Gospels, and I think it was Matthew 23. I was reading through uh, Jesus' description of the Pharisees and the things that they were valuing and not valuing and living for, and I just felt so convicted because I think, normally I read that passage and I'm like, oh, those mean Pharisees, those terrible Pharisees. This time I felt like I was reading it going, I think I'm guilty of everything in this chapter, or I have been recently. And I just had to pause and say, I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah, I've been squeezed into a mold. And I had to take a moment and just say, I'm going to resist these things. This is not from you. I'm walking in a way I'm not supposed to. So identify what's not from God and resist it. And I just want to say a final thought on this point is this isn't just physical action. So if there is a particular sin that you struggle with that that manifests itself outwardly. Let's say it's it's anger. You know, I I freely confess I I raise my voice at my kids in a way that I think is inappropriate and I feel often apologize for it. You know, let's let's say that's the manifestation of anger. I need to be battling before it gets externally, <laughs> right? The battle needs to begin inside. So as I'm feeling anger, frustration, resentment, a bitterness. I need to stop there and say, hey, yeah, this is time to put into practice. I need to resist. This is not from the Lord. Uh, it's from my own flesh, from the enemy. But this is not from God. And I need to stop right there. And, and again, that's why this is a spiritual form of worship is internally. I need to start the fight right there. And the the better you can fight here, the less likely you'll be fighting. The battle's a lot harder to stop <laughs> once it's external. So start in your heart, and then um, finally, here is uh, be transformed. In the passage, it says, "Be transformed by the renewing of your mind." I want to break that down just for a minute. Is the first is be transformed? The truth is, is actually even in English, that's an interesting tense because it doesn't say transform yourself. Um, that would be a direct action that you could take. It says be transformed, so it's a passive command. in in the sense of, you are able to, to do this, there's something you need to do, but ultimately it's letting yourself be acted upon by someone. And this is saying, it's a command to let God transform you. The truth is, is actually, there's a lot of scriptures here that affirm this, but you were already transformed. We sang about it in multiple places When you choose to believe in Jesus, you're made into a new creation. Uh, You were an enemy of God, and you became a friend of God, a child of God. You were an object of wrath. Now you're a vessel of mercy. Uh, You were in slavery to sin. Now you are totally free. Uh, Whether or not we're experiencing that, it's it's a fact that you're free of sin. You can be free from sin. Um, so you were already transformed the thing is you may not necessarily be enjoying all the fruits of that so it may not necessarily be worked out into all areas of your life yet but you were radically changed and the call here is to continue to let yourself be moved that way in, in your body, in your actions, in your life let God continue that work he wants to continue that work in your life let him do it you were changed but allow him to continue to do that The point here I'm trying to make, I don't know if I'm doing it justice yet, but just realizing this has already happened, it's not like someday you're going to be a person that's able to overcome, you know, XYZ sin. Uh, Like let's, um, even if, let's say, just pick on myself, let's say it's anger, uh, raising my voice and anger with my kids. I don't need to sit there and think, well, someday, someday I'll be a, a person that can overcome this. The reality is is that I have everything I need in Christ right now to do that. Back to that first parable, that first promise of the servant. I don't need to change in order for that to become... uh, I mean, I already have the capacity because of the Holy Spirit to see this happen. Does that make sense? Okay, now how do we embrace it and live it out? Which now leads again to the second phrase, which is, By the renewing of your mind. So the third point here is reprogram your mind to believe the truth. And will a simple hand motion here. Reprogram your mind to believe the truth. Maybe we should come up with another one for now. Maybe we'll do it for now. But uh, what's, the, what's the first one again? And what does this mean? Oh, I, you have the answers, don't you? Okay, surrender. Okay, and the second one? Yeah, resist the pattern of the world. And the third, reprogram your mind to believe the truth. And... If someone has a better idea for that one, let me know afterwards. <laughs> so reprogram your mind to believe the truth. So this sentence, again, the mind is a battleground. This sentence is so important. This sentence is what really made me want to choose this passage and dig into it and teach today, is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've literally been repeating that to myself. I wrote it in my journal. I wrote it in a note on my phone. I've been re- reading and rereading it. This is how we experience transformation, is by renewing our mind, reprogramming our mind to the truth, to believe the truth. We resist the things that are not true, and we allow ourselves to be reprogrammed to the truth. It's not by working harder. It's not by following our feelings, doing what, you know, just, uh, it's, this is it. It's, it starts up here, it's reprogramming our mind to believe the truth words are powerful. You know, I just realized, I was just listening to some words of a a really silly song. I was in McDonald's in a meeting, and my friend left for a minute, and I happened to, you know, tune into the words, and it was basically, my whole world's going to get a lot better after we get married. It was a subtle, it was about a relationship. It was just a subtle idea, but this whole song is built on this idea of my whole world is going to be radically different. All the needs in my heart are going to be met after I get married. And I was thinking, you know, that's a common theme. And, <laughs> And you know, actually, yeah, uh, I'm going to stay focused, and I won't follow the rabbit. But those are powerful words. If you listen to that, repeat it, sing it over and over again, that can just, uh, there's little things that are powerful. Marriage is awesome. I, if my wife's watching, I hope I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love I love being married very much. Love my wife. But it doesn't meet the needs of my heart. And uh, and it's important to know that. But just the power of words, negative or word, I think I know the power of the word of God. I think it just struck me as, wow, there's power the other way too. And in Proverbs it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, what we expose ourselves to, what we choose to listen to, or again, let in our heart and believe is really powerful. You know, I imagined, let's say... Um, for example, imagine yourself as a college student sitting in a class, a really hard class, teacher walks in the room, class is starting, and a student next to you leans over and says, hey, are you ready for the final today? And you didn't know that there was a final today. <laughs> you know what? I would feel panic, you know, you'd be scrambling for papers, you'd be sweating. <laughs> you know, That information could cause a change, right? So now let's say it was a friend you know, just trying to work you up. And it wasn't true. So the other friend catches what's going on and leans over and says, hey, he's lying. It's not true. There's no test today. At that point, you're still sweating. (laughs) You're still, you know, heart rate is up. You're, you know, you're probably been digging your bags for something, a textbook. You have to stop and say, okay, deep breath. Okay. And maybe you could ask some other people, which one's true here? You know, this guy's true. There's no test deep breath. You know, take a moment to sink in. You'd have to ignore this guy or, or something. But there's just, my only point is, information is powerful. And I think all of us listen to information, whether it be subtle or not, accidentally, that's not true. That's trying to squeeze us into a mold. We know what it looks like when that's happening. And we need to reprogram our mind with the truth. And um, it takes work. So like, you know, there's a there's a little hill kind of near Mount Fuji that my friends and I were walking up in the The pathway that you walk up has been used so many times that it looks like a creek bed. Like as you're walking, it's like the path comes up like you're standing in a divot as so many people have walked that way. And so if you're walking, of course, you just kind of follow the trail, you know. This is kind of like, in some ways, this is going to mean forming a new trail. If you're addressing something major in your life, like a, again, whether it's as serious as an addiction or whether it's just you know, something more service level or or something in your heart that needs to overcome, it may be like forming a new path. You know, at some point you are have to say, wait, I need to get out of this path and I need to start walking another one. And it's going to be easier than a, that trail because that's probably 50 years old. But you're going to start forming a new path. And as you learn to redirect and choose a new path, it will form a new path and it gets easier over time. And i personally, I wish I had time to share stories. Um, you're welcome to ask me later, but there are just places in my life that were that were addictions, that were struggles, that were areas of sin I never thought I would overcome, that aren't a big deal anymore. And it was understanding this. And by the way, this is my first time to like deeply dig into this passage. This is not the only place where it is. Actually, Romans 8, actually, he's already laid down this foundation. Romans 8, first 13 verses, Romans 8, similar application. Second uh, Corinthians 4, we looked at uh, Psalms 1. There are so many places in scripture aligning your mind with truth is the most important piece to experiencing this but it 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 can be fast Uh, it also can take time but um has powerful results so i think i need to land the plane now so one quick example i'm just going to share my wife's story i made sure it was okay with her to share this with you um we had just learned these principles actually in the year before i first came to japan um And uh, when we landed, we had an infant, and uh, I think our our youngest was four months old. I think probably my wife was going through postpartum depression and culture change, and we had no idea what we were doing. We moved to Japan. Uh, We didn't know the language. I couldn't even read hiragana. We lived in a place—actually, we moved in the hottest month on record. It was 2012, August, and we didn't have air conditioner in the apartment we moved into. The elevator didn't go all the way up to the floor. It went to the floor below— uh, we didn't have a car. We didn't have a bike, and we we didn't have a stroller that fit both kids. We had a one-person stroller. So, and we had a two-year-old and a four-month. So, when my wife went to go get groceries, you know, she had to take these two kids and everything that they required down a flight of stairs, then to the elevator, and then had to walk at a two-year-old's pace, to get to the store and only carry back what she could carry, and then do it all over again because she couldn't carry much and you have to reset. Anyway, that's one example of the struggle. Her back went out from changing a diaper on the floor. We didn't have a changing table. Um, We didn't have uh, English-speaking friends in the area we were living that were available very easily. In this first few months. Anyway, she was like, "I'm ready to go home. I don't know if I can make that." We were just there for a year, and there were times she said, "I can't. I can't make this." And we would just, I'd say, "Hey, you know what? If that's really what you need, let's. We can go. You know, like you're more important than the mission." Let's just take three days and pray about it. At the end of the three days, you still feel like this. Let's go back. And she would often feel like, no, I think God I think God wants me to be here. And so she was just in a very real, tangible way, having to surrender herself and say, Lord, you want me here. This is so hard. And she felt hopeless at times. Well, because we knew this, she felt we identified a passage for her. It was 2 Corinthians 4, that seemed to hit everything she was feeling. She would just read it. It didn't like it, didn't like hit her in any special way. It was just sort of logically, she could say, Yeah, I need to know that. But she started just reading that passage two or three times a day. You know, I was a lot more helpful around the house. I'd give her time, took the kids in the morning, give her as much time as she wanted with Jesus. And she was just reading that passage and praying that passage, listening to that passage on her, on her phone, um, and just asking God to speak to her. Well, just things started to pop out and started to hit her heart. You know, like uh, we're pressed but not crushed, uh, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. You know, and there's just so many beautiful things in that passage. And it, it says, even though our outward body is wasting away, our inward man is being renewed. It's achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And she was just got in the habit of getting in the truth and letting this steer her. She had been, you know, she was... We were addicted to the comfort of the United States. So I think there's a, a sense in which there's just patterns that we learned in the States that we couldn't enjoy over here. And she was unlearning something, resisting some, and just reprogramming her mind. And what came of that was hope, joy. God just lifted her out of the darkness. When it came down to whether or not we wanted to stay in Japan permanently, she was the first to say, I want to live here indefinitely. And she said... The greatest joy out of that time was that she knew Jesus more. She said, in America, I can just coast. Here, I can't. And I have to seek God here. And I would rather be here because I have to seek him and I know him more. And even when we went back to the States for furlough, we were facing sickness and challenges. I was questioning our call to Japan. Danielle was the rock saying we're we're supposed to be there and carried me through that. So there's lots. I could share lots of stories. I have lots of stories. I'm going to wrap up here. But just... uh, What are the action items again? Surrender wholeheartedly. Resist the patterns of the world and reprogram your mind. This can happen in an instant. You know, I'm going to pray in just a minute and just, uh, I'm going to just model a prayer of surrender to the Lord. If you haven't already done that, maybe the opportunity for you to do that or feel free to do it on your own. I'm also going to pray for God to show us if there's areas where we're not believing the truth that we need to resist And I'm going to pray that he'll give us the truth to counteract that. So if you have a pen or a phone or something with a new note or something you can pull out, I'm going to ask God, bring these things to mind. Like this week, I had so many opportunities. I think because I was preparing for this, I was attacked in a lot of different ways. Just I haven't felt tempted in different ways. I haven't in a very long time. And I just, Lord, I just surrender to you. My life is yours. It's not mine. And I said, no, that's not from you. I resist that. And what's true? And yeah, God's great. His word is powerful. And you can do this too. So I'm just going to pray if you feel like you can, uh, yeah, please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we we do just, we just surrender to you, Father. Um, God, we say um, our lives are yours. Uh, We want to lay down on that altar and yield to you like a a pen in someone's hand. Lord, we want to say, use us. If anyone here doesn't feel ready to do that, I pray that you'd help help us, help them to be ready to do that. And also, Lord, I just ask that you would show us the places where we are conformed to the world, uh, or where we have wrong thinking. We've been exposed to lies. If there's anything, whatever we thought about, brought to mind earlier in the teaching, Lord, I pray that you'd bring those things to mind. Show us where are we off? What are we not understanding? Where are we conformed to to the world? Help us to resist those things. And also pray, God, just that You'd bring to mind passages that counteract that. That You'd help us to remember these, write them down. God, I pray that You bring truth, bring passages, Scripture to the mind that counteract that. And I pray, God, help us to remember this. Help us to walk surrendered to You, to truly be transformed, to enjoy the transforming power that is at work in us through renewing our mind. Help us to do this, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.